0: Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. The the message in my heart this morning really has been my journey with the Lord um, really since I've been in high school. And for me, that journey has been learning how to be a disciple of Jesus, and that's intersected with learning his heart for bringing justice uh, to the earth and um, him inviting us to do that as his people. And so, you know, my hope is that as I share this morning, it won't just feel like somebody up here kind of talking to you, but it really will feel like our invitation, you know, that you will hear God's whisper to you of what your peace is. Because um, what I'm going to share this morning is it's not select people that are called to do works of justice. It's actually the call of God on the church, and there's a peace for each one of us, okay? So this is your message. This is our story, and I'm really just praying, even now, just spirit of revelation, would he speak to each of us? What is that place for you? What's that place for us? And walking into his heart for justice, um, I've, I, I don't want us to miss it, you know? I feel like this, it's such a gift, and um, so anyway. We'll dive in. But, <clears throat> um, yeah, just backing up a little bit. I've just loved this sermon series of finding ourselves in Jesus and his church and his mission. And uh, what's been powerful for me is, as different people have shared, just seeing similar themes of how God's brought other people on their journey that I've seen in my own journey. You know, like hearing James talk about discipleship, it's really stirred in me thankfulness of the people that have invested in me over the years. Um, hearing Brian share last week on his journey with the church, it just reminded me of, of God's faithfulness through others. And so anyway, my hope is, again, as I share, um, God's just going to reignite things in you if they've been dormant for a bit, or if this is new, he'll stir something new. But I really do, I really have faith that there's something for all of us this morning. Um, so I want to start by talking about God's invitation. And um, I want to start by us looking at Psalms eighty-nine, fourteen. And Psalms 89, 14 says, uh, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Um, So let's just think about that a little bit. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. Um, That's what his throne is built on is him working righteousness and justice. That is who he is. Uh, But then I love the second piece because it speaks to his character. It says, steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So what that means to me is, as God works righteousness and justice in the earth, how does he do it? He does it through steadfast love and his faithfulness, okay? So it's not this like harsh, heavy-handed God, right? It's the God of love. That's how he proceeds his work of justice. That's how he proceeds his works of righteousness, It's through his faithfulness that he brings it forth. Um, So the biblical definition of righteousness, I loved looking it up because it's so powerful. It says righteousness is treating people as the image of God with the dignity that they deserve. Okay, so if nothing else, if we all walk away wanting to walk in God's righteousness and treating people with the dignity that they deserve... I mean, the world's going to change, right? If that's how we engage with each other as image bearers of God, I mean, that's a weighty way. And that supersedes politics and race and socioeconomic, all the things that can be barriers in how we relate, right? If I just say, I see you taught as an image bearer of God, then I'm going to treat you with so much dignity and respect. And um, so that's righteousness. And then justice speaks of restorative justice, So this is seeking out vulnerabilities and helping, advocating for social change. So again, this is an active command for justice. It's not passive, okay? We don't sit back and hope that justice comes. It's active. We engage with it. We seek out where are those places that need change in society, and we actively take part in the work of God in that. Um, So I'm going to just share with you guys a little bit of my timeline, just so you know kind of a bit of my story, and then, um, yeah, then I'll just kind of unpack each of those seasons a little bit, and um, things learned the hard way. Um, Really, a lot of it's just things learned the hard way, is what you're going to get this morning. So, um, yeah, so timeline, when I was in high school and really started trying to walk with Jesus, um, I... I had an opportunity to work with those that were experiencing homelessness um, through through my church, and I'll unpack that a little bit more later, Uh, but that was high school, college. I studied social work and um, had an opportunity to mentor kids in a lower lower socioeconomic part of town, Um, went to college, grad school. After grad school, I went to Afghanistan for three years, Um, then came back here to Fort Worth and uh, got to be part of work with refugees. here in the community. Uh, then the past eight years have been overseas. So, four years I was in India and then four years in Malaysia. And then these last two years uh, I've been back here working with Unbound. And um, I'll share with you more about Unbound as well. But um, yeah, so I think in each of those seasons, there wasn't one particular vulnerable population that God had me work with. You know, it wasn't like I'm just called to Afghans or I'm, oh. Saw Susan Ryan. Sorry, Um, (laughs) um, or I'm just called to the homeless um, because the reality is God's in all those spaces. Um, You know, if you want to find Him, just be around those that are vulnerable, and that's where He's going to be. So it could be those that are homeless. It could be those in lower socioeconomic. It could be those that are being trafficked. I mean, God's in all of those spaces, any of those spaces, and so just go there. He's going to be there it's going to be good and it's going to be hard but um but i think that's been beautiful for me to not feel like there has to be one niche right that i that i step into um it's just trying to find him and in each season it's kind of look different um but that's the consistent th- thing for me has been finding him there um so also disclaimer and this is what really important as i was preparing but as i've looked back over really it's been about I mean, since college now, I mean, 18 years maybe, is that right? 20 years, it's a lot of years. And um, and I wish I could stand up here and say, um, every time I've stepped into a different part of God's heart for justice, it's been easy, and I felt so equipped, and it's felt so natural. And um, unfortunately, that has not been the truth, uh, or it hasn't been my reality. You know, I think each thing I've been a part of has had this element of feeling clunky I felt unequipped I felt unprepared like it wasn't there was moments of like oh this is so glorious and then there's a lot of very normal days where I just felt really weak um, and I think the reason I want to share that is I feel like there's um, this misconception that if it's God then it's gonna feel a certain way right or it's gonna be like ah this is what I'm made for. And I think there's moments of that, but honestly, um, that's not going to sustain us. And we'll talk about that more, but like, it's really natural and very clunky. I mean, this is just, again, my experience. And I, um, you know, I think of Second Corinthians 12, 10, where it says, for the sake of Christ, therefore, I'm content with weakness. Uh, let's just think about that. Content with weakness. Um, I'm content with insults, hardship, persecution, calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Um, and that's what I want. You know, I want the strength of God as I engage in these works. And so that's meant for me um, feeling weak a lot of the time. And um, and as I've leaned into him, I found him, right? And that's where the beauty has been. And so I just want to say if you feel weak, that actually doesn't disqualify you. That actually qualifies you, okay? So um, and that's where we've got to just press in. Uh, so this uh, became really real for me um, when I when I moved to Afghanistan. I'm just going to, I was debating sharing the story because it feels like the the week of the week, you know. But I was like, it's church, so we're safe. I'm just going to offer it to you guys. So, um, so again, I felt called to Afghanistan my sophomore year in college, and it was about a five-year journey until I got there. And so over those five years, it was a lot of just, prayer, learning about the needs of women there, really kind of cultivating this heart of, of God for um, this people that um, I just grew to love so much. And so when I finally made it there, I thought, man, okay, these are my people. Like, this is just going to be, I mean, glory. Like, I'm here the rest of my life. And, um, and so uh, I moved in with uh, my team leaders and their five children. So we had a two-bedroom house, um, all made of all made of mud. I lived in their basement, which used to be uh, a Mujahideen, which is like a warlord, prison cell. And it was like, welcome to the mission field. You know, like, I mean, prison cell and all. And um, it's like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for, but it is. And um, so, again, I thought, man, I'm going to love these people, and the language is going to come easy. Relationships are going to come easy. And um, nothing came easy for me. And, um, you know, I was three months in and at that three month mark, um, I was feeling high culture stress, struggling with the language, struggling connecting. Um, you know, I was the only single my age, American single my age there. Nobody spoke English. You know, it was just like, ah. um, and so, you know, my team was like, Hey, let's, you know, pull out for a week, go to Dubai. That was the most Western place near us. And get some rest and then, you know, come back in. And so I thought, okay, you know, this is the call of God. So of course I'm going to be good after a week of rest. And so I flew out to Dubai, um, ate a lot of good food. And I was confident that by the time I had to fly back into Afghanistan, that passion would be back. And I would feel like, okay, I'm ready again. Like I can take, take this mountain and, um, so the day came to fly back to Kabul, so it's capital of Afghanistan. You had to go through to get to the city where I lived. And so I got uh, got back to Kabul, and nothing changed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I still really don't want to go back. And, um, like, I really don't want to go back, but I can't leave early. And, again, just all this wrestling. But I thought, surely by the time I get on the plane tomorrow morning to our little village, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel ready. Um, and so the next morning comes, and... I go to the airport and still nothing is changing, you guys. And at this point, I'm like panicking because I'm like, I'm three months in. I feel called to missions for my life and I'm ready to peace out. I'm like, ah, you know, and I've prepared and I've got my degrees and I'm just, I'm done. And so, but you've got to get on the plane, right? I mean, the plane's there and you got to get on. And so I get on the plane and I mean, I wish y'all could see it. It's this like little six seater Cessna whatever, small plane, because we lived, like, up in the mountains, and that was the only way to get there, and so I get on this plane. It's me and five, probably five Afghan men. I'm all veiled, and um, and I just start crying, and I'm just, like, and I think just overwhelmed by this sense of, like, I've disappointed God, you know, like, like, God's called me. He's entrusted me, and I failed him, and so I've got my veil and I'm like crying and trying to dry my eyes and it was so awkward and so embarrassing and I'm just like, and, but surely by the time the plane lands, I'm going to be ready and God will change something, right? So you know where the story's going. So anyway, so sure enough, we're about to touch down and um, I hear the voice of God probably more clear than I've ever heard him and um, I felt like God said, Sandy, um, where you're at right now, I'm so pleased with you. I'm so pleased with you. And it just broke me because I was like, I thought I would feel the pleasure of God when like the multitudes came to faith and healings and all that, right? Um, But that's not what it was. The pleasure of God was me just getting on that plane and just showing up, you know? And I just think, how often do we just have to show up and get on that plane again? And anyway, so the plane landed and, I was like, okay, here we go. Just take the next step. And, um, I ended up being there for three years. And during those three years, uh, God changed me, you know, and, um, I'm so thankful I got on the plane and it's been cool because Afghans have continued to be a part of my story the last 20 years and different things I've been a part of. Like I've run into Afghans on trains in Ireland. And I mean, it's like everywhere I go, I find Afghans and They've just continued to be this beautiful part of my story. But I don't think they would be if I wouldn't have just shown up, you know. And so I was thinking about, okay, what's kept me going? You know, like what's kept me showing up again and again? And I think it really has been for me, like knowing my identity in him. Um, Because I think the weight of the calling, or at least for me, or the again, the love for the people or that kind of thing just won't sustain you, but knowing our identity will sustain us. And, you know, as in Afghanistan, God um, did a lot of work in my heart with Galatians 2.20 where it says we're no longer a slave, but we're a son. And if we're a son, then we're an heir. And so, you know, a lot of those years was spent learning what does it mean to be a child of God? And if I know his pleasure and approval there then it doesn't matter what the fruit is, right? It doesn't matter what I see in the natural because it's him. And um, that's a good thing for somewhere like Afghanistan because we saw very little natural fruit. And, um, but, again, I believe his kingdom was established and I believe, you know, there's still fruit there today. And um, it's really cool because I look around this room and I see, friends that I worked with there that just happened to be here today, which is fun. So anyway, uh, there's an inheritance there. And um, yeah, so, you know, I think um, as I think about his invitation, uh, you know, I think a couple things, you know, I think he often will cultivate things in us a while before he launches us into them. And I think the At least for me, I think there has to be a a foundation, right? So I think he'll cultivate things for a while. Um, If you hear nothing else in this first piece, I just want to say again, he works in our place of weakness. Um, And if we pull back when we feel weak, we're going to miss it, Um, really. You know, if if we're needing to feel strong and competent and all those things that our culture so values, then we're going to miss it and we're going to come up short. But if we can embrace our weakness or at least lean into it, you know, I don't know if I've ever embraced it, but, but at least lean into it and at least keep showing up, um, then we're going to walk into what God has. And that's what I want for each of us because um, there's a peace for you. You know, there's a peace for each of us. And so um, that's only point one, but that's my longest point. So um, number two, uh, he works through his church. And when I say his church, I mean so broader, the people of God, right? That's that's how he works, and um, I'm convinced that I, we can't fill the God, the call of God in our lives without each other, um, because I think that's God's design. You know, He's put us in the body for a reason, and He wants to do it through community. Amen. Colossians three eighteen says He is the head of the body, the church who fills all things in all ways. Um, And so, again, he's the head of the body, and we're each a piece of that. And so if we try to do it on our own, if we try to do it independently, um, we're going to miss it, you know. But if we come alongside brothers and sisters and try to figure it out together, that's, that's where that place of life is, I think. Um, so I'm going to just share with you guys again, since high school, kind of what that expression with with the churches looked like. Um, so when I was in um, when I was in high school, it was uh, working with a homeless ministry, like I shared with you guys. Uh, but it was really cool. Looking back, I don't think when I was in it, I knew how cool it was. But now I'm like, that was a really cool ministry. So it was in Houston. There were about 12 churches that decided to all come together around families experiencing homelessness. And so what that looked like is each week one of these 12 churches would host these families. And so that meant the cots, the linens, the beds, the food, like for a week, each church would house these families experiencing homelessness, and then the next week it would move on to another church. And and so I'm so thankful for parents that really carried a heart for justice and so they brought me along, and my mom cooked, and I would play with the kids. And it was this, this place where the church stepped in to love these families in a way that a nonprofit couldn't. And I love nonprofits. I work for one I've I've, my degrees in that, but it's there's a place the church can come in that a nonprofit can't. Um, and so when I saw that in high school, you know, um, I saw it when I came back here to work with refugees. And... Um, So I had the most amazing life group in those days. So Darren and Julia Keys, if y'all don't know the keys, you want to know the keys. Um, But they championed me and surrounded me in those days. And I'll never forget, um, there was a a season where there were so many refugee families coming into Fort Worth, and as social workers on the ground, we were exhausted. I mean, it was these long days, and we could just meet the bare minimum of what these families needed. And... And the keys were like, well, we're the church. Like, what can we do? How can we step in? And so it was summer. And so we were like, let's bring them Bluebell. Like, every person coming to America needs to experience Bluebell. <laughs> and so so as a life group, we got all these currents of Bluebell and the keys. And, you know, I'm trying to think who else. Anyway, other families were part of that. And we all went um, to this family's house. I had just arrived from Africa. And... I mean for a couple of hours we just sat with them and we ate ice cream and this family turned out to be believers and so we had this beautiful time of praying together and worshipping and welcoming them to the states in a way that only the church could you know and that was just one instance but it it stayed with me for years you guys of like because it was the church you know and it was like what can we do well we can we know we can eat ice cream because that's what we do it's Texas it's Blue Bell and so we can invite them into this tradition. And it was so beautiful. Um, it was so beautiful. And side note, refugees are still coming to Fort Worth. So if that's in your heart, there's so many places to get involved. So that's that's free. That wasn't even in here. So um, you're alive, you will be blessed. I mean, talk about the most resilient. I... I I feel so honored for the refugees I've been able to work with, not because of what I could give, but because of what I received and learning from people that have overcome so much more than I could ever understand. So you will be blessed if you hang out with families that have um, immigrated here. Okay. Um, So Unbound. Um, It's been really cool for me working at Unbound. So quick snapshot of what Unbound is for those that are new. Um... So bound started as a ministry of the local church, and um, it's grown now to where we have a team of about 23 people that are working with survivors here. And so uh, we work to support survivors and resource our community to fight human trafficking, and we do that through relational advocacy, our youth drop-in center. Shout out to teammate here from the drop-in center. Um, And But what's been really cool has been seeing how the church has really owned this ministry, you know. So I look around this room and there's so many that have partnered with us in prayer, have partnered with us financially. There's people that have come down to the drop-in center and hung out with our youth down there. And, um, you know, I think what's made it so beautiful is the church owning it and stepping into that space. Um, And so I've just been so thankful, again, to be part of that. Um, you know, I think another beautiful uh, piece of the church that I've experienced is this safety net, if you will, um, to really risk. And, you know, I think about over the years, all the people that have risked with me in ministry. Um, So I was thinking this week about um, my youth leader. So his name was Mr. Ratchford. And when I was in junior high, um, it was high school, I got... um, I learned about this ministry in, in inner city Houston uh, that was working with again with the homeless and so I was like Mr. Ratchford we've got to go like we need to respond and and he was like all right it's your burden so this is yours to lead and I was a 16 year old kid I was like I don't know how to lead a outreach trip and I don't know what that means and he was like it's all right like we'll figure it out together but this is yours and you need to step into this space and I was like yes sir like I'll yes sir I'll, I'll do that and um, and I was so thankful because he helped me figure out how to, you know, plan a mission trip and invite our youth group in. And it was this place of being risked on, you know, and um, same thing in college with life group. Same thing with Afghanistan. Like when I, I went to visit and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back for six months. I'm going to be a nanny for this family there. And um, the director of the training school was like, no, you're not. Like if you're called to go, you're going to go. And... um, and I was like, okay, I can do that. But it took people believing in me, right? And risking on me. Um, you know, I think about Unbound. So I wasn't planning on staying in the States when I came back from India. Um, sorry, Malaysia. It was India and then Malaysia. Um, but COVID hit like a month after I was back. And during that time, Jamie reached out and asked me to pray about Leading Unbound, and I hadn't worked in anti-trafficking work before then. You know, I'd worked with those that are vulnerable. I'd, I'd done ministry, but I'd never worked with an anti-trafficking organization, and um, Jamie entrusted it to me, and I'm so thankful he risked on me, you know, because that, he didn't have to do that. You know, he could have said, okay, who actually knows about trafficking? Not me, um, but, but I've learned, right? And the heart for it's grown, but I'm so thankful he's wrist on me. Um, And last thing I'll say about, again, just my experience in the church is I think there's a place where we can speak the truth and love to each other uh, in a way like none other. You know, I was thinking about Tiffany Guild and the eight years I was in India and then Malaysia. um, She, honestly, her spurring me on and kind of being that lifeline really helped me stay on the field those years. Um, She's also pretty practical and so like, you know, when I was in India, I was trying to rough it and so I didn't have AC and it got really hot. But I was like, we're gonna live simple and Tiffany called and she's like, would you buy the air conditioner? Like, it's okay. But I was like, Tiffany, I'm on support. Like, I wanna steward the money well. And she's like, as one of your supporters, I wanna say, buy the air conditioner. (laughs) And so I did, and it gave me more years in India, so thank you, <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> but, you know, like, we need those people around us, right, that are going to call us higher and challenge us, and the people that are like, hey, take care of yourself, slow down a bit. Like, we need all, all sides, and so I'm so thankful. Like, I look around this room, and people that have been on this journey with me for years that I wouldn't make it otherwise. Um And then, again, when I was in India and Malaysia, a lot of what I did was um, I worked with our international teams uh, in team health and um, really just trying to, um, I want to say help people get along. That sounds uh, not fully accurate, but just doing team building, right? So... um, I think one thing that I saw consistently in those eight years was, you know, when you put a group of diverse people in a place of culture stress and um, lack of other resources, it's just the grounds for conflict and tension. And um, But what was so beautiful is really every team I, I would meet with to do team training, um, they would lean into each other and those differences and where they found that place of working through miscommunication and broken trust and all the things that are so real, they found such synergy and um, made such an impact on their communities. But again, I think that there's a place for us in the church where we're not all naturally going to get along with each other. Um, I was actually recently reading um, Eugene Peterson, and he talks about like, you don't just find the people you like in the church and work with them. You know, like, God intentionally puts us with people that rub us wrong because that's where we get refined, you know? And so, again, like, there's a place we can be refined if we'll let ourselves be. Um, Okay. Quick drink and then. All right. Yeah, so number three... um, I think it's really important what our posture is when we um, look to work with uh, those that are vulnerable. Um, And I think a few things. I think we need to pause to observe and really be good observers. Really look and see what's happening. Um, We need to listen, and then we need to adjust. Um, So Colossians 3.12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Um, you, know, you guys, we don't serve at the vulnerable. Uh, they are not recipients of our charity. Um, like do not degrade them. Uh, we can't degrade them like that, right? Um, they are ones that we have the honor to walk alongside and we all can be vulnerable at some point. So you know it's a um, nobody's exempt from vulnerability or being on the margins, right? Um, but the place of life is if we'll actually learn, listen from, and then adjust. Um, again, people are never the recipients of our charity. And, um, you know, so that could be the homeless man on the streets that you'll see, you know, here in Fort Worth at the intersections. Like, don't just give him money, but look him in the eye. Ask him his name. Like, connect with him as the Imago Day image of God, right? Because that's who he is. Um, and they don't, it's not transactional. Uh, if it's transactional, we're going to miss it, right? And they're going to miss it. I mean, it's, it has to be relational. It has to be um, seeing people as they, as they rightly are. Um, okay, so I'm going to shift gears and give you a funny story just because. Um, so this is, again, my attempt to be culturally appropriate. And I could tell you these stories all day long, <clears throat> but I'm just going to give you one for now. Um so when I again when I was going to Afghanistan I really wanted to honor the culture and be culturally appropriate and so I did all my research on what's right to wear and how do you um yeah just how do you honor the culture and so in Afghanistan that was long sleeves long skirts like basically no skin exposed right and so I was so excited because I went I went to J Crew and I found this long linen skirt no slits to the ground, and I was like, "This is my Afghanistan dress." You know, it's like so culturally appropriate, and I'm I'm so I'm just excited. If I miss it in every other place, at least I'll be culturally appropriate with my uh, with my skirt. So, so as the months went on, I would wear this skirt, you know, and I just needed to feel culturally appropriate, and I would get the funniest looks from Afghans. And I was like, what, what is it? You know, like, do they want one? I could, I'm sure I could have some shipped in, you know? I mean, maybe they just love my skirt as much as I do. And so I was so thankful because probably a year in, you guys, um, my closest Afghan friend, uh, we were sitting together one day and uh, she was like, Sakina, that was my Afghan name. She's like, Sakina, I gotta talk to you about the skirt. <laughs> And I was like, do you want one? Like, there's a team coming. I'm sure they would love to bring you one. And she's like, no, like, I feel so nervous to be around you when you wear that thing. And I was like, why? You know, like, it's culturally appropriate. And she was like, "Sakina, linen is what we bury our dead in. (laughs) Yes, that was me. I was wearing the death cloth around the city. That's why they were nervous. So, I'm just saying, if I hadn't been open to feedback, I would have thought I was doing everything right, and I would have missed it. So, it's funny now. It was not funny in that moment. I did get rid of the skirt, just so you know. I never wore it again, and I apologized for years. I probably still apologize to her for that. But, but I share that, one, because it's funny, but two, because we can do everything we know to research, to study, to understand the population we're working with. But if we're not open to feedback, we can think we're doing everything right and we can miss it. Right? So don't wear the death shroud, thawed, whatever it's called. I was like, oh, my gosh. So, um, you know, another part of my journey there was um, we started a women's center. And, again, you know, going to Afghanistan, I thought I'd really – I wanna really help change the social structure, right? And so I had so many ideas of what that could look like and so many great ideas from the social workbooks I'd read. And, um, and when I got there, I, you know, I sat with my neighbors and I, um, I asked them, hey, what do you need? And what they said was they were like, hey, would you teach English? And I was like, one, I'm not an English teacher. And two, there's so many other things in my perspective, right, that would have been more helpful. But it was so insightful to me because they were like, our time has passed, but if you'll invest in the next generation, then they can help change our society, and so sure enough, I learned how to teach English, and it wasn't the need I saw, but it was where their felt need was, and that's what mattered, right? Um, Like when I think about what my my team does here at Unbound, They don't have a pre-prescribed way that they engage with survivors. You know, each one our advocates meet with and they say, okay, how can I come alongside you? What are your goals? What are your objectives? The drop-in center, same thing. Like, how do I help you move forward? Because this is your journey. It's not mine. Right. And they learn from, and they adjust. And that's how, um, that's how they do the work. And so, really that posture of a learner, guys, we've got to get, I've got to get more, because we have so many great ideas, but we're not the expert, only people are the experts on their lives, right? Like, I wouldn't want somebody else trying to put their ideas on me, and in the same way, right? So, um, you know, like, at our, <clears throat> so, um, Sunbound has a youth drop-in center, which, um, has just been really a powerful place for me to see. So it's 24-7, so youth can come in off the streets. And, um, you know, it's been really impactful for me to go down there and hang out with these youth. And, you know, some of them are, um, or for those that have been survivors of trafficking, my thought would be, I'd love to, like, help them get on the other side of this, right? Like, I want to see these youth free and often what they want is just to be a kid for those 24 hours that they're with us. And so it's looked like playing Uno and hearing their stories or, I mean, karaoke. I mean, there's all kinds of fun that happens down there. But, like, it's taught me so much because, again, I think, well, wouldn't they just want to be free? But what they want in that space is just to be a kid and just to get to have a normal experience for this space. And so... So that then becomes my priority, right? It becomes phase 10 and not let's make a plan for your recovery out of trafficking. And at times they're they're ready for that too, but that's not always the case. Um, So again, um, let's learn from, let's listen and let's adjust. Uh, Let the church be known as those that are the best learners. Um, Let us be those that are known for the ones that really carry just justice from a posture of humility and um, grace and never having an agenda. You know, I mean, I think so often it's easy to go in with an agenda of what we think needs to be delivered or done. And wouldn't it be amazing if the church was known as the most humble, the most, um, yeah, the ones that come just to learn and to serve and have no other agenda. All right. Um, last, uh, last point, again, these have all been big ones, but um, this is letting his word be stronger than our experience. So I'm going to take a quick drink, and then I'll unpack that a little bit. Yes, yeah, so 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Um, so I love, uh, Brian's not here, but when Brian shared last week, he said, let's let our experience move up to Scripture versus the other way, right? Instead of trying to make our experience fit into Scripture, let's let our experience move up to Scripture. And... Um, you know, I've loved the journey God's taken me on. And honestly, it's been more rewarding than I would have imagined. Um, and it's been so much harder than I ever would have guessed and so much more costly. And I think if I had known that, I don't know if I would have signed up. Actually, I would have. But, like, I I had no idea what it would cost me. And if I didn't have his word to be my anchor, um, I don't think I would have made it, honestly. Because um, I think early on, I would always let kind of natural experiences confirm God's goodness you know it was like I pray and God shows up okay therefore God's good or there's provision therefore God's good you know all those if this then that and um that I learned very quickly is not how God works or hasn't worked for me right it's not always this you ask for this and God shows up and therefore the natural confirms his goodness often I think it's his word has to be stronger and um Again, so often God will have to speak to me in really concrete ways for me to get it. And uh, my first year in India, I went down to Sri Lanka for a friend's wedding and decided to spend New Year's on a personal retreat uh, on a beach in Sri Lanka, which sounds really nice right now. But first year in India, I'm single and I'm alone for New Year's on the beach in Sri Lanka. And I was like, my life is so awful and I'm so alone. And it was not. It was, it was so sad. I was so sad. And um, I felt like God was like, okay, just get out, go for a walk. And so I'm I'm walking along the beach in Sri Lanka, and I start seeing these rainbows over the ocean. And, And I felt like I heard God say, Sandy, I'm inviting you to a season of my promises being more true than your experience. So in this moment, you feel so alone, and you feel so unequipped for what you're called for. But my truth is... You know, I've called you by name. You're mine. Okay, so so latch onto that, not what you're feeling right now, because your feelings are temporal. They're going to fade, and you're going to feel different tomorrow. Um, but my word is eternal, and my word is going to stay. And, um, you know, I went back to India, and um, I saw poverty there like I've never seen anywhere else. Um, actually, it's not true. I think I saw it just as bad in Afghanistan, but you get my point. It was bad in India as well. And um, I felt like God said, Psalms 9:18, 9, 9, uh, God will never forget the needy, and the hope of the afflicted will never perish. So, if as I see the needy, I remember God's never going to forget the needy, um, then that's going to give me hope because it was so despairing. You know, I remember there was this place in India called the Home for the Dying. And, uh, you know, I went there and I would just sit with. These women that were in their last days, and I I felt like God said, "Well, you just hold their hand and just sit with them," and um, and again, you know, I'm seeing the despair, and then, but to remember, because I sit with them, God's hope will be restored to them because that's what He promises, you know, and um, that had to be more true than what I saw because, again, what I saw would have overwhelmed me with despair. Um. Again, you know, I feel like every new adventure God brought me into has felt bigger than me. Um, but then again, Psalms 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits for him, and in his word I put my hope. Uh, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will sweep over you they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. So again, fear not. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. You know, so again, I think so many times um, just this reminder of God's presence with me and help me keep showing up. You know, Psalms 121 where it says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. You know, I learned to memorize scripture like never before, not because I wanted to, honestly, but because I had to. Like, if I didn't have the word in me, I would not make it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I spent years meditating on John 14 through 17 again and again and again, trying to grasp this idea of what does it mean to abide. And um, and I'm still grasping with it, right? But I'm, um, but again, I don't want to miss what God has for me. And so I've got to have the word so I don't miss it. Um, So as we wrap up, um, there was two scriptures specifically um, I felt for us as a church that I want to just encourage us with as we end. Um, So the first is Hebrews 10.39, which says, We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So Antioch, we are not a people that shrink back. Okay, Where you may want to shrink back, where we may want to shrink back, it's not who we are. So, we are not a people who shrink back, but of those who persevere. So, therefore, Hebrews 12:1, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything that entangles. And what can entangle could be, I don't like weakness, or I've, I've been burnt before, or whatever could entangle you. I don't feel the call of God. You know, whatever could entangle you, let's throw that off. Um, And I just want to say, again, like, to step into God's work for justice, you don't have to have a burning passion for the homeless or refugees or trafficking. You don't have to have this, like, oh, I'm called to do it. I'm going to set you free right now. You are called to do it. You are. Because you love Jesus, and that's what he's doing, so you're called. Um, So there you go. You have now received... The invitation from God. And if you don't know where to do that, or if you don't have vision for it, again, that's the beauty of the church is there's so many in this room that have visions so big that need people to run with them. So find those people and run with them, right? Like we make it so complicated. and It's just, just start somewhere. Like there's enough injustice in this world that you can start somewhere. And so that's what I'm gonna pray as we wrap up is that we'll each just start somewhere, wherever that is. And again, it's not for the work, but to find to find him. Um, so good. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And um, yeah, I think just as a place of response, um, I just want to say if this feels new to you or a new place for you to step in with God, um, I would invite you just to come to the front and get prayer. If you're like, hey, I want to step in, but I don't know where, um, then let people Pray with you. Um, If you want him to reignite your heart, if this is something you felt before but you've gotten waylaid by other things, um, come forward and get prayer. Uh, If you've been hurt by doing it in community, um, you know, community is so beautiful and can be the most painful place we experience too, sadly. So if you've been wounded in community, come forward and get prayer. Um, And then if this whole idea of walking with Jesus is new to you, being a disciple of him, then I know the people up front would love to share um, what that looks like to walk with Jesus. And so don't leave this room without learning more about walking with God if that's a new concept. So yeah, if everybody could stand. um, And yes, invite you guys to come up.